are now listening to the unmistakable sound of the Wolverpool. Stuart Donnell says Bama lost a national championship, a swim meet, and two basketball games this week. Two of those losses were at the hands of Auburn, a solid contender for a week of the year. Definitely a great week for us to watch them suffer uh, because they have been insufferable for quite some time. So to see them in agony is always welcomed. Um, guys, let's go ahead and, and talk more in depth about the actual game. We kind of mentioned it uh, in the previous uh, half of the show, but Auburn came from 14 down and beat Ole Miss. And we're now 16 and 1. 5-0 and in the SEC, and uh, in the midst of a 13-game winning streak. So, the fans have voted. We always ask every, every Auburn victory, who's the player of the game? And it's uh, who, my G? Ah, Big Sexy. Let's go, Walker Kessler. All he right. Game. He had a game, people. <laughs> and he deserves it, too. After all them fouls, man. Absolutely. Yeah, he Absolutely. deserved this. 20 points, 10 rebounds, an assist, four steals, seven blocks in 33 minutes. Uh, they let him play today because he, he, he needed to play. He hasn't had a chance to really play uh, due to all the fouls that were called against him. He only has scored a total of eight points in the past two games due to being in foul trouble and playing low minutes. Just being out of the flow of the game, it was very good to see him just be able to play within the game. I, I noticed that he was... I wouldn't say timid early on, but it, I could see he was trying to avoid not being called because they were going, uh, they were trying to score in the paint. They were having success scoring with their big man, and Kessler was just trying to stay in the game. Um, I didn't know if you guys noticed that, but I, I think it took it took him getting involved offensively, um, especially the lobs that were thrown his way, the offensive boards. He had five offensive rebounds in this game, putbacks. Um, and I think that allowed him to, to settle into the game and really become a factor. Um, B. Will, your thoughts on Walker Kessler's performance? Okay, so I was watching him play yesterday. I know we've won two games with him in foul trouble, limited minutes, right? I, I am so grateful we have Dylan Cartwell to fill in defensively. But last night was a very, a very concentrated example of why when it comes tourney time, it has to be Walker Kessler. Our ability to, number one, defend. He does not defend by just slaughtering guys when they come to the lane. Like, he's light on his feet. He jumps quickly. He reacts and jumps quickly to people as they are driving, which is much different than I'm big and I'm going to get in your way. Like, Shaquille O'Neal was a huge guy, but he wasn't a great shot blocker. He was too big. To be a great shot block. He was really quick. He was a little lazy on defense, to be honest. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> Cardwell can defend, but Walker bad. Kessler is quicker on his feet than Dylan Cardwell is. He jumps and reacts quickly. Long, slender arms. He's not hacking people when they come to the lane. And he can block shots at such a high clip. Like, a, a lot of times, I assume that the refs are going to blow the whistle and call a foul on him. But as I watch the play and the replay, I'm like, he's really not fouling dudes. Like, some contact's going to be incidental. That, that's inevitable. You're playing basketball. He has an uncanny skill for a guy that tall to block and not make contact with the body. 
I have never seen an Auburn center do this like this. And come tourney time, not just when it's it's we're playing out of conference and a lot of guys are smaller, we are going to need that effort and that ability to be a dominant defensive team. We got all these scrappy guys on the perimeter. Great. We've got an eraser inside, and that is what makes it work. It does not work on defense. We cannot harass people the way we can on the outside unless we've got a guy inside who can influence shots the way he can. Also, he can finish. He's finishing so well on lobs. One bounce back up. Grab it right back to the rim. Defensive rebounding has improved significantly since the beginning of the season. He's on the boards. I think he got challenged a little bit in that UConn game. And since then, hey, man, well, it, it's so hard to say he's the most valuable player because some nights he doesn't, it might not be the biggest shot. He didn't make the biggest shot. Wendell Green has been making some huge shots. For sure. It's really hard for me. As I look at what Walker Kessler contributes, Jabari Smith, of course, he's an otherworldly talent to be that tall and to be able to shoot like that. Walker Kessler is the difference between NCAA championship and Sweet 16 from what I see. Like, I, I, the more of it I see, then the more I know, yeah, we, we won that Bama game without Walker Kessler, but Bama's not that good. Bama's not that good. Walker Kessler is the dude. We, we are going to need him to beat elite teams. I'm glad he's on our team. Sorry, UNC. I'm not sorry. Mm. Not at all. Mm. Mike G, yeah. your, 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 thoughts, your, thoughts on, your thoughts on Walker, Walker Kessler's game? Yeah, you know, he was what the 2019 team was missing. Um, yeah. The only thing the 2019 team, uh, 2019 team was missing. Uh, you know, so having a dominated presence down low, particularly on defense, he blocked some shots last night over our own players, right? Right. It was mm-hmm. it was impressive to watch. Like um, I forgot who was guarding down low, um, but the guy was trying to back him in. You know, had a posted up, and Walker was standing over our guy that was defending him. And when he put the shot up, he just was just this thing that came out of nowhere and said, "No, <laughs> not today." So I I I love his. I like his game. Um, he's gonna have to. Is going to have to find a way. There was something that was posted. I think it was Justin Hokinson that posted something um, about uh, from the LSU game about uh, he screenshotted it. And he was like, this was not called a foul. It was like a full-on face rake. And um, Walker has jumped straight up, not even touched anybody and been called with a foul more than yeah. a few times this season. Right. You know, and I just don't really, it's just like if he jumps, it's a foul, right? So the only thing that I worry about is he's got to be able to stay aggressive in spite of how they're calling him. You know, I, I, I really don't think, I hope that they're reviewing it. I hope that this is something that the league reviews and says, okay, guys, like we're not calling this right on him. Let's make sure we keep an eye on this during the game. I know the NBA does that. Right, they, they get the refs. They they get the refs together. I sat in a meeting with uh, uh, it's one of the coolest meetings I've ever been a part of, where they were talking about how to officiate Shaq. It was incredible, and they had all these plays picked out, and they were just like, "Listen, man, this dude is just big and strong. We're we're letting non calls go on Shaq because it doesn't look like a foul because he's so big and strong." 
You know, now this guy is tall and he's athletic. And when he jumps, you know, at the end of the game, too, uh, I will tell you, um, there was uh, a three at the end of our game where I swear our guy didn't touch the old Miss player. I hope I'm talking about our game. Tell me you guys remember. There was a corner three near the end of the game. And I was just watching it and I was just like, I didn't, he didn't touch him. And there's a, there seems to be just a lot of plays where we're not even touching the guy they're saying that we're fouling on replay. Now, I know that you have, to, you have the opportunity to challenge some foul calls in college basketball now, don't you? Uh, I don't think it's only, in the, only in the NBA that you can yeah. challenge? Yeah. Okay, because I'm like, in my head, I'm just thinking some of this stuff is just, I mean, if it affects the game, if it affects the outcome of the game, some of this stuff should be reviewable, particularly if we're talking about fouls where... Well, you're alleging that not only is it not a foul, our guy didn't even touch the other guy. Well, that was definitely the one play where Jabari Smith was defending a guy who was coming into the paint kind of wild, and Jabari's just backing up, and the dude lost control yeah, he and failed. failed. Yeah, and, right. yeah, and they yeah, called, they called a, a foul on Jabari. Yeah, that was crap. Yeah. Right, yeah. Corey Weber said yeah, it was the Bama game that I was watching, um, where they put up a shot at the arc. Uh, they put up a shot at the end of the game, and it was just a, it was no contact at all, right? Yeah. None. Now, he, he was kind of in the shooter's space, but they never made contact. It was just so weird to watch them just call fouls on no-contact plays. Right. Um, it's not been particularly good this year. I hope they clean it up uh, come SEC tournament. Um, I'm Mike, what you're describing is college basketball, which is why oh. they tell you hear coaches say, well, we just got to play through it. Honestly, I think if what was happening on – the college level happened in the NBA is partly why you get reviewable calls, but also it, it refs get demoted for calling bad games in the NBA and in the NFL. Like that happens. Yeah, that, you get graded out that just <laughs> ref yeah. that uh, Bengals game apparently is not They're going done. to be allowed to ref any They're more done. playoff games for the rest of this season right. because really? of that one call mm-hmm. on the inadvertent whistle. Yeah. So that, really? that happens in yeah. the, in the pros, they take it more seriously College, not so much. Um, I think some of that maybe in football, the fact that each conference has their own refs is probably not a good thing <laughs> if we're going to talk about large picture <laughs> right. in a lot right. of different ways. But mm-hmm. in basketball, there are so many calls. It's, there's so much action. I get why that's hard to officiate. And this is why I said on the previous show, they just call proximity and momentum like that's it that's all they're calling oh you jumped at him and he fell down so you must have fouled him no i didn't but it's going to happen so much that coaches just have to coach the players don't worry about it let's keep playing over the course of the game we'll get this back and eventually and not get it back from the refs but we will overcome whatever call they made now what sucks is one bad call can absolutely turn a game can you imagine tourney time where Walker Kessler gets a clean block, but it's his second block and it's early in the first half and it takes him off the floor? And so now we're without probably the most critical piece of our team for a long stretch and we get in a hole and we fight back, but we lose the game because somebody was off the floor that shouldn't have been off the floor. It absolutely decides games, which is why, again, it's so hard for me to enjoy college basketball the way I do other sports. But what you are describing is, man, they, they got to fix this, right? No, they won't because it's college basketball. And this yeah. is well, so they, they, they did a good job. Somebody mentioned this in the comments just a minute ago, and it went by too quickly. Um, on the flop call for the Ole Miss guy. That, that was took good. took the three, 
Nobody touched him, but he falls afterwards trying to get a call. And the ref was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. No. We, no, bro. Let, let's, let's, let's cut this out right now, bro. Don't do that. And then there was a call in a previous game where the guy kicked his foot out underneath the Auburn defender who went mm-hmm. straight up. And the ref actually said, hey, look, yeah. you initiated that contact contact with your own kick out, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're – I'm not going to say they're getting better because they still steer it like that's, you know – there's levels to get to before we're talking about good officiating. Right. But I do agree that it can get better over time if refs start to concentrate. But the problem is that with a three-man crew, you might have one good ref, right? Mm-hmm. Like the other two could be absolutely terrible that day. And the one guy calling it straight is not the guy that's impacting your team the most. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, right. with the number of college basketball games that take place, or your subs, Right, there's I, like, so there's many referees that are many necessary. Games. On yeah. a Saturday, there's like 40 or 50 games on big Saturdays in the late January yeah. and February. Well, we can't control everybody, from? but you know, yeah. inside our conference, right, we definitely have the resources to educate our refs and mm. make sure that they are, you know, the, the film <laughs> the film reviews and some of the things that they do at the at the pro level. I don't think it should be out of reason that we should do some of those things uh, to where they sit down and they just talk about, okay, who do we have in league this year? You got Jabari Smith. He's this big guy. He's, you know, let's let's review calls made on him in the first third of the season and yeah. see if we're calling it correctly, right? But that's, like, that's too, that's, that's your coach too, right? Like, I'm sure that after those last two games, before this game started, Bruce Pearl pulled the refs aside like, hey, listen, guys, he's going straight up and down. You got to call it straight on my guy. You can't take my guy out of this game if right. he's going straight up and down. That's Bruce Pearl's job to get with the referees and say, call it right. Right. You know, pay attention to the fact, like, I can, he's going straight up and down. And, and he mentioned it in the post-game presser mm-hmm. when somebody asked him about it. He's like, verticality is verticality. I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah. Right. Like, if I if he's going straight up and down, he's allowed to do that as a, as a shot blocker. Mm-hmm. You right. can't call that as a foul. It was Hokinson that asked him the question about the fouls on Kessler. And yeah. he and he kind of smirked and gave a non-answer, but it was clear he was just like, yeah. listen, no, he uh, the, the message yeah. was super clear. He was yeah. like, hey, listen, <laughs> verticality is verticality. Like I, I don't know what else you want me to say. Yeah. And also, Bruce was really humble in the loss to when Virginia double dribbled. Honestly, he, I would if I was nah, a coach, yeah, he handled it well. I, they would have probably had to drag me away from the podium. I would have been holding it like an angry rapper. <laughs> Yelling at these refs by name, like it, exa- I'm telling you, like you are not going. To, you just screwed me out of possibly a national championship. And Bruce was as humble and as gracious as anybody could be. He did not lay into the refs like he could have. I don't think anybody would have blamed him if he had done that on that day when we lost that game. But that is buying some some goodwill going forward. You clearly got hosed, and you still didn't point the finger. So now when he goes to the refs and makes a complaint, or he goes to the league office, or he says something in the press that still isn't inflammatory, now they pay attention a little bit. So he yeah. did the right thing. Yeah, I said, Bruce, Bruce Pearl is an absolutely phenomenal coach. He says the right things in press conferences. He gets on his guys on the sideline. He's, you know, like I, there, was a, there was a point in the game he was talking to Alan Flanagan about something that happened during the game. And he, he was like yeah. getting upset at him. And Alan was like, what do you want me to do? He's like, and he's like you, you know what? All right. Just, all right. Like, okay. Like, I'm not, we're not going to do this right now, but <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. He's, just, he's a good coach, man. Yeah. Yeah. And an amazing person. Um, Auburn Dad for Life says, hey, fellas, can we discuss the no foul call on Ole Miss for the first 19 minutes of the game? Um, we'll talk about that. 
We'll talk about that because that actually that I have some thoughts on that. I'm gonna bounce off Ike and the rest of the fellas. And Murray State and Auburn bearing the hatchet and joining forces on Twitter. Listen, if you can't beat us, you better join us. Yeah, they they put out the meme where it's like uh you just got beat by the team who like lost to Auburn, something like that. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was you, crazy. did you see the uh old miss posted the score backwards? Yeah. After the game. And then in 10 minutes, there were over 2,300 replies on that. And so they deleted it, and people were accusing them of deleting the post. Uh, on purpose. Yeah, well, they, right. They, they purposefully posted the wrong thing first to get all of the vitriol out so they could yeah. delete the post for good cause mm-hmm. and then repost the correct one. It didn't work. It didn't work. There were <laughs> yeah. there were like twice as many. It yeah. was, it was, uh, it did not work at all. Like that, their strategy was, oh, let's post something wrong on Oops, purpose so that we yeah. have to delete it. Then we can repost like it in a We po- don't come back to oh, look at our yeah. posts. Like, yeah. listen, on, on game night, I don't care how late the game is, Auburn Twitter is up until like three in the morning just posting stuff and it was it was just funny to see that um my uh my favorite meme uh light was uh one it says uh it said uh senator tube wants you to hold his l's <laughs> it's supposed to be tuberville, <laughs> tuberville yeah it took the l's out <laughs> want you to have these. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was one I saw that was like uh, Smoke Monday says hold these L's, and then proceeded to get called for targeting. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was the that was the one. That was the one. Uh, my uh, my other favorite one was the iPhone call screen where it said. Uh, Elves is calling you. Elves is calling you. Elves is calling you. Elves is We got some creative guys. No, Auburn Twitter is exceptional. James Barnett says the refs are calling horrible calls on us and we are still winning. Just think how bad we beat teams yeah. when the calls are correct. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, man. I, and that, you know, listen, man, this is why I don't think the best team in the country thing is a hyperbole, right? Like, I'm not just saying that because I'm an Auburn fan. I'm saying that because. I've sat and I've watched games where we, again, still have not played our best basketball for 40 minutes, had terrible officiating, uh, star players not playing up to their potential in games, and we're still double points. You know, we're still in double-digit games, right? Like, it's, you don't play your best basketball and you're still beating the pants off of people with bad officiating, that's a that's a really good team. I'm sorry, like you just there's yeah. no ways to spin that because I sat and watched Baylor struggle through a game yesterday and could not figure out a way to get over the mm-hmm. hump against that's an inferior opponent. And that's not saying that Baylor's not a good basketball team. Baylor's going to be going late into the tournament more than likely. They can't figure out how to get over the hump when they don't play well in stri- Auburn has not had that problem. Two right. overtimes, I say again, is the only way they've been beaten so far this season. Yeah, Two, yeah so, three games into the season. <laughs> it's a really good yeah. basketball team, man. Like, and it's just like there's not there's not ways that you can spin that other than they're really good at playing the game of basketball and they believe so much in themselves and one another that yeah. they just feel like I looked at I watched KD Johnson's reaction after that second steal going into the half. And it basically was like, yep, 
mm-hmm. it's about to be bad for y'all going forward. Like he's yep. like, yep, that's it. We woke up. It's over. Mm-hmm. Like his the the mentality was like, nah, we're not about to lose. Like I I feel you and everything, but y'all y'all about to take this L, and there's nothing you can do to stop. Like hit. You just had to. You could see it in his eyes mm-hmm. that he was like, "It's it's about to be bad for y'all for the next twenty minutes." It is. I'll tell you what. Um, Bruce Pearl said in the preseason that, or early in the season, that they, this was his most talented team ever. If he says that about next year's team, I'm putting a thousand dollars on Auburn to win it all immediately. <laughs> just, I'm just not going to wait. I'm just going to place the bet in the preseason, right? Like if he says next year's team is his most talented team, I think that'll be saying something. After this, because he doesn't like to pay, pay lip service, I think he'll he'll tell us like it is. Hey guys, we got work to do. We're not. Yeah, where we I mean, he said be. that last year. He he yeah. knew that this team was had potential, but it wasn't there. Right? Yeah. He knew for a fact, and you said this earlier. Like the difference between this year's team and the 2019 team, or really any any of the other uh, Bruce Pearl coach teams for Auburn, is the inside presence defensively. Like we've right. always had good guard play. We've always had that forward, you know, that stretch four that could do something, right? Like that that front court player that was versatile. But we haven't had the defensive anchor of Walker Kessler. And that's essentially, I think, the difference between us being a good and dangerous team and us being a great championship-level team is the fact that we can shoot it from the outside with anybody. We can defend one through five now and even if you have good penetrating guards or good bigs down low we've got erasers on the back end like there's just if if we rebounded better we would be blowing teams out by like 60 it's your boy ike jones and you're listening to the war reports weekend tailgate podcast did you know that you can find this and most of our other podcast content on youtube first that's right Just search The War Report on YouTube and you'll find our channel where we broadcast this and other shows live. We've also got Auburn football and basketball press conferences, film reviews, game highlights, interviews, and special guest segments too. All of the Auburn sports content you can ask for and then some. Now that you know, let's get back to the show. My tools to the game, I I mentioned it pretty much in in the Bama game, but how about those free throw shooting? How about it? Auburn was 14 of 16, 87%. And it almost seems like when Auburn absolutely needs to hit their free throws, we're good. But if if we're in control of the game, you know, we will get a little laxed. But we went 14 of 16, and, and Auburn dad talked a lot about the fact that we were not getting calls I think that was a part of it because I think we shot our first free throws. It was like 20-some seconds left in the first half. Like we had went almost the entire half without going to the line. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that once – I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Ole Miss's offense started struggling down the latter part of the first half – which allowed us to get on the fast break because we didn't have any fast break points as well either because we were in half-court sets mm-hmm. because Ole Miss couldn't miss uh, early on in the game. And I think the correlation between fast break points, free throw shooting, once they begin to come back down to earth, now we started getting those calls because the game had started changing uh, a bit. So for me, free th- once we were able to get to the line, slow down Ole Miss – 
to where they're not running back and forth, just jacking up shots and hitting them. I think the, the game really began to change, and we started hitting those free throws as well. Um, Ike, what, what was yours? Yeah, for me, the tool to the game was adjustments. Um, I don't know whether to attribute that to the coach saying, this is how we're going to attack this press that Ole Miss is doing, if it was a sight read by some players. Um, but when they started getting into the pick-and-roll action and then Wendell Green was coming downhill aggressively off of that, that changed how Ole Miss had to defend. They couldn't defend the same way anymore because it was too difficult to to, to cover that pick-and-roll so high out and stop him from getting into the lane. But, I mean, it was like two or three times in a row he just went down there and threw a lob somebody. Like, it was just like... And so what they had to start doing then is when they showed high... The big man had to sink down to try to get on the lob, and then Wendell was just open for medium-range thing. Or he would just continue his drive all the way to the lane, and then he would find some sort of way to break down. It just changed the complexion of how Ole Miss had to defend, and I think that that was offensively the momentum shift that allowed us to to really just shake up um, what Ole Miss was doing. So that's the tool. That, that adjustment to me was the tool to the game. My G. My tool to the game is just mental toughness. Like, you're on the road in a hostile environment. Uh, you're a top five team, and everybody wants to beat you. And when they were up 14 in the first half, their crowd was hype. And, you know, you know, the preppies were fist pumping on the sideline, and they thought they had us. Yeah. And this team just never looked shook. Um, you know, I At saw— all. Yeah, I saw people on Twitter and people were just kind of like, oh, I'm worried, I'm worried. I was like, actually, when you look at this, this is not a bad game for us so far. They've gotten us used to adjustments right now. We watched a whole season of football and what did we bemoan? Halftime adjustments. We've come to expect that with this team, right? So not only did we adjust to how they were defending us, but we adjusted how we were defending them. You know, and I just couldn't, I was watching, I was like, listen, Bruce isn't going to let them keep shooting these three-pointers like this. They're going to start to run them off that three-point line some. And then Kessler starts to have an impact on the game down low once they couldn't just jack up threes. Now, if they were going to jack up threes, there were going to be bad shots. And if a team is going to beat you taking bad shots, I think you just kind of live with that. Yeah. Right? Um, However, uh, it just was the mental toughness of this team uh, you know, I thought it wasn't a great statistical game for him, but I thought that KD Johnson showed why he is important to this team with some key plays down for the sure. stretch. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just attitude and, you know, toughness and, you know, and just a short memory, man. He's got ice in his veins. He just doesn't care how many shots he's missed. He's taking them because let me tell you, he took some questionable shots there from three in that second half. Um, but drove to the lane, created contact, hit some, hit some free throws. He just did some things that you just can't, that are just invaluable to a team. And this team believes that they can win. They believe, I, it looked like they believed that they were going to come back. Brian talked about the end of the first half, right? And you hear the announcers talking about it. They're talking about these next three minutes are super mm-hmm. important for Ole Miss. Right. Not for Auburn. <laughs> right. For Ole Miss. Because they understand what we are. We're not going to stay down. It's very unlikely that you're going to run us off the court, even in your own house. And I think that says a lot that, you know, for the mentality of this team and how they're viewed and how they portray themselves and how they carry themselves, that, you know, when the chips are down, it's not over. It's not ever over. 
down by 14, won by nine. Mm-hmm. Right? right? Come on, man. That's a 23-point swing from first half to the end of the game. You know, and, 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 and on the road with a top-five target on your back. Watch what this team is made of over these next few games. They will, they will undoubtedly be the number two team, at least in the country, uh, with a great argument for number one, and it's only going to get tougher from here. And having it up here, because the talent is not the issue. We, we're physical, right? We've got shooters. We've got inside guys. We've got talent. This is, this is Bruce Pearl's most talented team ever. So we're not sitting here talking about whether we have the capacity to do we're talking about will we do, and that starts up here. So for me, it's just winner's mentality, man. These guys are these guys are killers. I love it. Be will. Uh, what was your tool to the game? It was Walker Kessler. I still haven't seen to this day a big who could be as effective defensively and on offense, running with that pick and roll game, man, being able to catch quickly finish sure-handedly, catch, gather, sure-handedly. Like, that's that's such an underrated part, man. The bigger humans get, the less coordinated <laughs> they are usually. But he's a big dude, man. But, I mean, I know he stepped out there and taken that three a couple times in the last few weeks. And he's hitting a couple. He hadn't hit a lot. But I don't mind him taking that shot because he's earned the right to take that shot from what he's doing. Discipline in the pick-and-roll. Um, discipline down in the paint when he's defending. I still don't think we have the ability to do what we did. Down 14, up 9. We can't do that without him erasing shots in the paint for the entire second half. Um, Walker Kessler, to this point, in my opinion, is the season MVP for Auburn basketball. Season MVP. I'm not mad at that. I'm not mad at it, especially especially how tough games get when he's, he's out. Um, it says it says a lot of what what, what we miss. Uh, Cleveland Brown, worst best case scenario. How many L's does Auburn see in conference play going forward? Uh, there's a lot of factors in that. Um, I see two more. I see. I was gonna say two more. Yeah. I see two more. I see two more L's. I mean, you're saying that's the worst case scenario is two losses. Yeah. Well, is that best yeah, case? Yeah. Is that best case or no, well, no, best no, case I, we we go undefeated, obviously. But yeah. but what's the worst case? Yeah, I think it's two more L's the way this team's playing. Honestly, I think their floor is really high. So on the on the road to LSU, on the road to Kentucky, no matter where we're playing, no matter yeah, where we're playing, we we've got to play Kentucky. We got to play. Uh, we got to get LSU again. We've got um, those are your Bama two losses. Again. We've got. I, I just I, Bama being aggressive. I don't think Bama being bad means anything in that game. Like I think because it's here, come. I think it does. But yeah, I think yeah, their yeah. best shot was there. Because, it was there, yeah. Because yeah, it, it, it doesn't matter where we are, but for them to play their best game, they needed to be, at, to home. be at home. I think they, I think they felt embarrassed in that first game, and they're gonna want to get their get back. Like, and I'm not saying I think they can. I, I, right, I, th- I think, and I think the crane kick. I think they really they're going to pl- try to play out of their minds. I'm not saying they beat yeah, us again. Again, I'm not. Uh, the poten- Listen, we have the potential to be anybody on our schedule. So this is not me saying, oh, we could lose this game because they're better than us. Like right. that, any given night in basketball, somebody can get hot and it can be different. The reason why Bama is dangerous is because they shoot the three so well at times. If they come in lights <laughs> out at three, 
because they had the potential to do they're it, dangerous. they could beat anybody. They're dangerous. Like, they're dangerous. They're dangerous. They, can shoot tw- they can hit 23s that game, and it's a whole different ballgame. Well, I don't right? know, man. It just Again, seems unlikely. I'm talking about potential. I ain't talking about what they definitely will do. Like, just, to just say, oh, they ain't going to do it. You still got A&M. Um, some people mentioned a A&M, right? Yeah. They're sneakily better than, than anybody expected. Yeah. They've been playing. So, I mean, I think four out. is probably worst case scenario for me. Four losses. Four losses? Total? Yeah. Yes. In, okay, in so, SEC, so four, four, SEC, four, in, four, four, okay, four yeah. additional losses, I think, for five total in the season would be okay. worst case scenario for me. I would agree um, with that. I, I was thinking like three. That's not, that's not an unreasonable statement, no, right? Like, no, yeah, just I for think certain. losing five games in the regular season in basketball is still a great season. Yeah, it's great. I just think yeah. this is going to be one of, I think this is going to be an all-time season. We don't play LSU on the road? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we so, don't, yeah, yeah. He's right. He's right. We don't go to LSU. Okay. Yeah. All right. All we don't right. go to well, LSU. Well, there you go. And do, we don't play do we, Kentucky on the road. Is it Florida either. that we get again? Then I know we play South Carolina. We play South Carolina again. We play Georgia twice. So, so we Kentucky, get, Missouri. We got to play. We got the Oklahoma game. We got Bama again. Georgia. We Arkansas. only play Tennessee once. We play Florida twice. Okay, Florida's the other so, one, so and Florida's. then Tennessee. So Tennessee's the other team that is potentially dangerous on our schedule, really. Uh, we do yeah, play man, Ole Miss man, again. But Tennessee's, Tennessee's not, not 100%, right? I don't know where they'll be when we play them, though. Yeah. That's what I'm, That's my point. I, I know they're not been looking strong, but I don't think they've been 100 they, They're kind of like Ole Miss right now, down, yeah. down some people. So Yeah, they yeah, just so got we, beat by 30. We go to Kentucky. Florida, we, and then we play Texas A&M. And we go to Tennessee. Those are three potentially trappish games. Vanderbilt is actually a trap game. They're sneaky decent this year. Yeah, yeah. The SEC is tough this year. I, be, I mean, again, my, my prediction is just how good I think we are. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. No. Again, I'm not. I'm not. My argument is definitely not that we could can't. We we could beat every single team on our schedule. Like, there's not a team that on that's on the schedule where I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if we could beat them. Mm-hmm. Like. We could beat all of them. Kentucky's yeah, probably the best team left on our schedule. Though. I just I just have to believe that we're going to see better. The way this team has been trending, that we're going to see better basketball over this last half, and that's what I'm accounting for. In yeah. my mind, there's no way this team doesn't continue to improve, right? And and in past years, what we've seen is it's taken until about midseason, and then we take that one L that kind of catapults us forward. That's what kind of what happened in, in 2019, Right, well, we got we lost to Kentucky at home, and then after that, they just went on an epic run. Right, mm-hmm. um, they, I just don't think they need that loss this year to do yeah. that. Right, like that. yes, so um, so that's why I'm saying yeah, I think the floor is super high for a team like this that plays together, where anybody can step up on any given night and just be player of the game. Could be Kessler, could be KD, it could be Jabari, it could be Wendell, it could be Zepp Jasper, right? Like, you know, and then you have all these crazy role players. Uh, Jalen Williams has been sneaky good this year in spot duty. Um, you know, Cambridge on any given night where he just kind of comes out and just gives you energy and dunks and defense and, you know. I just want him to hit open shots more Cambridge. Yeah, man. Just, just like he gets so many opportunities to like – Swing momentum with three pointers that he just flat out and he gets beautiful look, amazing. He looks. does, he does, man. I'm, I'm telling you, if he's gracious. making that shot, God, you Goodness. just don't get a break. You don't get a break with this team. Berman's yeah. minutes have gone down the last couple games. Or she so has. I, mean, I wonder what's up with that. Is Alan Morris. Flanagan coming? Is and Morris. Yeah. Alan Flanagan coming back into the uh, rotation has cut. Uh, Moore hadn't seen the floor in the last couple of games. He got yeah. there for um, a little bit, for a very little bit. But um, 
but yeah, Berman and 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 Moore have definitely had a lot. And then you know when, but the reason I think Berman and Moore were even playing was that one game where Cambridge was out, right? Like so, Cambridge was out of game, so yeah. they got some minutes in there. But yeah, with, with Flanagan being back in the rotation, you know, we asked that question earlier. When Flanagan gets back, how does that change the guard rotation? There's your answer right there. You don't see Chris Moore at the three, and you, you don't, don't see, see Berman. Berman coming in at the two. Yeah. Flanagan's taking both of those rotational minutes away from those guys. For good reason, though. Flanagan's a better ball handler. He's not a good, he's not as consistent a shooter as Berman, but he's right. a better defender. Sure. And he can hit the three. He gets run off. Like, I think he's reluctant to shoot it for whatever reason. Um, yeah. but he has such an interesting jumper though when he shoots the yeah, three. It's, it's, it's just forms ugly. Um <laughs> but <laughs> you but said being it, kind I, about the same. Yeah, I was being I was being nice, but yeah. Yeah, nice forms. <laughs> I, I hate it. But uh, I'm listen, if he makes shots or whatever, I don't care. Um but uh but he's just he's a more athletic guy, and uh, I thought it was gonna be Cambridge whose minutes were suffering, and it turns out to be he's just absorbing those minutes from Berman and more. So yeah. Which mm. I'm, I'm still, I'm so so on that. But I, I gotta defer. We gotta defer to Bruce's, his his feeling, his gut feeling on what these guys can contribute down the stretch. If if it if it makes more sense to empower Cambridge and invest that time in Cambridge, and hey, Bruce is the dude. He knows what he's doing. Yeah, I just like Cambridge for me. Um, like I understand why he's getting those minutes because the backdoor lives that he catches are mm. momentum swings, and who else? I mean. Simo might be able to get up and get a couple of those, but he ain't got hops like Cambridge does. Right. Um, and then Cambridge, he's a good energy guy. He's not the best off the ball defender, but on the ball, he plays pretty well defensively. Yeah. So I get, you know, his athleticism is the reason why he's getting more minutes over, especially someone like Berman, you know, no disrespect to him, but he's just not the most athletic guy out there. Right. Um, and he is, he. it seems like he feels the pressure a little bit more than other guys when people are crowding him and so he gets run off of his shot a little bit too easily or he's rushing it when he's getting opportunities to get out there um and then like i mean he he missed a couple of point blank ups a couple of times i'm just like you know and that's i mean that's honestly the reason why Car- that's the reason why cartwell doesn't get more minutes because he yeah, just he, his, his ability way. to finish around yeah. the rim is just War Report family, you are listening to the Weekend Tailgate Podcast. You're in the right place for great discussion of Auburn sports news, but there's so much more available to our YouTube channel patrons. Patron-level supporters get first dibs on select content, special chat privileges when we have special segments and big-time guests, and only patrons get access to our off-season football film reviews that kick off after A-Day. We're talking next-level film breakdowns to look at what we did in 2021 and even give us a glimpse of what to expect in 2022. And did I mention the patron giveaways? So head on over to our YouTube page and look for the join button. Become a patron-level member and get your weight up. All right, now let's get back to it. Let's transition on to the gridiron. A lot has been happening in terms of Portal. Mm, And we, you know, of course, we've been... We've been hit just like every other program has been hit with the with the portal news. Um, the mm-hmm. latest is that one of our edge guys has headed off, and let's just give a list of who all has entered the portal from Auburn. Um, this is kind of where we are right now. The latest is Romello Height, um, of course, Daniel Foster, Allen. Um, he also was on the D line. He entered the portal, I think, last week as well. Um, I'm and like, we I'm see like, this. 
<laughs> we, see, we see the schools. Oh, actually, th- Lee, Lee Hunter just put his name in the portal. No way. So he just Four-star did it. freshman defensive lineman uh, Lee Hunter has entered the transfer portal according to On3. Oh, no. that that I'm actually sad about that one. Yeah. Yeah. That's... But, and again, I, I wonder is if this is is this is part of just the fact that hey, we we have our D line guy, our D line coach is just not around. Um, if that's playing a factor in it or not, because I know Mason would have to be working overtime just keeping those guys engaged, keeping those guys uh, on board. But he could pull an Eric Eric uh, Eric Reed Jr. and withdraw his name. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so here's the list, and I know we kind of talked about whether or not whether or not are we you know disappointed with what we're seeing. What are our thoughts so far about about guys who've entered the portal? Um, pretty sure Lee Hunter is a big one because we had high hopes for him. Thoughts, fellas? Um, um, this is not not unusual. Now, listen, you guys said it. I didn't. I didn't necessarily. I wasn't totally on board with this statement, but you know, Brian and Ike were pretty adamant after the championship game. Watch what happens to Bama and Georgia as far as this portal is concerned, right? I think Lee Hunter will make our 14th player that's entered the portal since August, right? Well, Bama has now had 13 players enter the portal since November, right? Um, and people are. Just this is the new college football. We cannot flip out about this. This is going to happen, right? Uh, guys are going to answer the portal. They're going to go looking for better fits elsewhere. They have less incentive to stick it out now. Right. Um, and particularly with a guy like Eason, who his leaving hurts. Yeah, it hurts yeah. this team. You know, in a lot of ways. Uh, so, um, you know, maybe depending on who they get in here at D line coach. Um. Uh, it may be able to sway them back. Maybe that's part of the recruiting process now, but uh, I'm not I'm not particularly surprised by this because it seems pretty par for the course based on what we're seeing everywhere else, right? Like, everybody's got, like, over 10 guys in the portal at this point. This is what it is. Be Will, your thoughts on the portal news, Lee Hunter, anyone else outside? Of course, we talk pretty extensively about other guys on this list, but... What are your thoughts so far? And and is should we panic? Is this just the new, as Mike G says, this college football, the latest? This is the new college football that we got to get acclimated to. It it is what college football is now. This is what it is. I know we're used to seeing guys come in to hearing about them, how they're practicing, if they don't make the field this year, next year. We're looking for information about how they're improving and if they haven't quite made it on the field and we start asking questions, but really they just kind of ended up being these stalwart. I'm all for Auburn. I love it here. I'm a graduate and you know, it's a good story. And then they, they go on to the next level maybe, or maybe not. And, but I think there it's, it's both good for the students and it can be bad for the students as well. And it's good when a guy can go from second team, you know, uh, be a backup to be a starter somewhere else, get reps, play, get some some live game action, um, show what you can do. And even though I don't know if it's happened outside of some high-profile quarterbacks, I think we we should see maybe in the next few years a guy who was buried on the depth chart at some super powerhouse school because that's a lot of what we're seeing leave Bama is um, guys who weren't going to crack the starting lineup. 
they're going through the process and they're staying faithful. And I know Mike was really big on like, hey, look at Bama, man, both just stick around and they just stay. And well, not, not anymore. Mm. People want to play, man. They want to play. So it's good if you can go somewhere else and play. I think what people are going to find out is that if you're running from the competition of a starting job, if you are running from the challenge of being the best you can be each week, accepting coaching, and or you want a coach who doesn't ride you so hard, okay, good luck. You can you can go to a, a situation that's not going to be as demanding, but that doesn't mean that you're going to go and play your best football there. So we we have yet to see how that's going to play out as all of these moves get made. I think this is probably the busiest transfer offseason by far. I mean, this is really, what, the third or fourth season we've been doing this? But the first time that people can leave without impunity. So mm-hmm. right. that's um, the difference. Right. That's so the difference. You can transfer this year and you can play immediately. So it's a different ball game. Right. So we we will see how these moves shake out once guys get to where they're going to go. Like, for example, we saw a Demetrius Robertson leave Georgia and he wouldn't have cracked that starting lineup at Georgia this year. He played here. I don't know if it did much for his stock to play here because he was, you know, okay. He wasn't an all-world player for us. But where it's going to hurt them is when they don't get challenged where they're at, they're going where they're comfortable. Um, And some of that is relationship with coaches. But let's be clear. A a lot of people get recruited by coaches to schools who when coaches leave, they want out. Almost Oregon has gotten just massacred transfers even with guys and this is probably what's more telltale we knew that when they lost their coach that they would lose some players there the guy who was as productive or more productive at Oregon this season than Tank was for us left the running back I can't remember his name but he had like 1200 yards and double digit touchdowns this season for Oregon like why would you leave dude you're gonna get reps you are going to be playing it's not just the coaches, it's the position coaches, it is starting spots, and it's a little different for everybody. But I am worried, I think I saw a little stat by the Rivals Transfer Tracker Twitter account, and they were saying that there are something like 1,300 people have gotten to the portal over the last yeah. like 12 months, and only like 400 of them have gone somewhere. So what is going to happen to these people who don't have a better spot. They don't have all these people sending them offers once they jump in the portal. I think it's possible that for that reason, we're going to have, Eric Reed was the first one, not everybody's leaving. People are jumping out there. What they're doing is putting their toe in the water to see if they get some offers, to see mm-hmm. who comes to court them. To That's see, a risky game. It really it, is because it is. they can it offer is. your scholarship to somebody else and you're That's just out That's a risky game. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're telling the coaches you're not all in. You might not. You might come back to an empty locker. Right? Like, yeah. I, I, w- I wonder what the rules around that are. Right? right. Like, you it's know. about we, how many scholarships the team still has left. If they've right. given your scholarship spot, like, if so, so well, that's if my Lee question. Hunter leaves and we go get another guy on the D line and hand him that scholarship, he even if he wanted to come back, they don't have room for him. Yeah, I, I guess that's my question: is once you enter the portal, is your scholarship immediately forfeit, or is it, or do, is it still last the remainder of the semester? I mean, I just look at Eric Reed's situation, right? I don't know. I, I guess it just depends. I guess yeah. it just depends because yeah, we gotta look into that because that's that yeah. would be my question: is is that are you? You know, because let's say you are enrolled this semester, but you're entering the portal, but you're not playing somewhere until 
your, you know what I mean? Like transfers, like you can announce that you're going to transfer as a graduate transfer. However, um, you've got one more spring left at the right. school that you're at to graduate. And so right. your scholarship is still active until the end of that spring. And um, I just wonder what the, the rules around that are. So like, do they have to guarantee your spot until you enroll someplace else? Or at what point can the school say, okay, this scholarship is off our books? I don't know. That's a good question. We'll have to ask you. Know, well, the, the scholarship commitment lasts through the end of that school academic period, right? So, like, it's not like you're going to just stop paying your b- bills, you know, before the end of that semester, quarter, whatever it is, right? So, I think that it's fully likely that if you enter your name in the portal, they're just not counting your scholarship towards next year, so, right. Jimmy Redding says scholars are set annually, so it that's doesn't have to be re-upped in the fall. In the fall, okay, yeah. So I guess that's it, right? That's our answer. Is um, uh, it, it does come down to um, do they get other athletes into the, in, from the portal, right? That can fill those spots, right? Because after signing day, it's not it's, they're not it's not kids from high school. There have to be other portal athletes taking those scholarships, right? At this point. Right. That's mostly what it's going to be. So uh, if they fill out, great. If not, you know, I know that Auburn got some scholarships back, spots back because of the amount of the guys. If you exceed seven guys in the portal or whatever, you get some of those scholarships back uh, to count back to a previous class. So it'll just be interesting to see, you know, uh, I just think it's a risky roll of the dice for any any player. Right. Yeah, just not. decide I don't know where I'm going yet or I don't have a definitive spot or I am definitely not staying here. So it doesn't right. matter. I'm just going to leave. If you're just like, well, let me see if somebody else want me, uh, you know. And mm-hmm. well, let, let's let's keep this in mind as well. Now that NIL is really a, a thing and also to go with that, I don't think the back door under the table NIL has stopped. Right. All right. I mean, we NIL lets businesses and local community and, and alum kind of foot the bill for recruiting. But I don't think the under the table stuff that got guys to different places has ceased. So what may be happening is guys are jumping in there to even if they come back, I'm going to let you re-recruit me. No, you need yeah, yeah, to go ahead and give point, me a little reason. That's, that's the that, players that have cachet in, like, you know, I mean. You think if, it has cachet, but if the D-line coach says, no, we need this dude, he's no, going to go to the coach and say, we need this dude back. I don't do, know, what, man. do what it takes to make it happen. But but to Mike G's point, it's risky. It's very it's risk. risky it's for risk you to for do sure. that because you're going to no. find out just how much those coaches really think about you and how important mm-hmm. you yeah, think I, you are. I just think there's only a handful of players that have the type of uh, uh, a pull or clout to be able to pull that off like that when you start talking about NIL and stuff. Uh, most of these guys entering the portal are, you know, I mean, they, they all, I'm, I don't want to say nobodies, but like a vast majority there, there, of these players are, there, are. There are very few portal transfers that had got significant minutes the previous year. So you correct. know what you're getting, right? right? Like if they got significant minutes, they were, they're, they're trying to move up from a lower conference, mm-hmm. um, you know, junior college, something like that. But it's very rare that you're going to get a power five transfer that also played significant minutes that isn't also coming with a bunch of headaches. Right. Or highly touted enough that it, it makes sense. Like the kid from Ohio State, Ewers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I mean, he got a million dollar and he hadn't played it down yet, I don't think. <laughs> right. He might yeah. not end up being as good as everybody thinks he's going to be. And then it was worth nothing. 
Yeah, so only a few players, I think, that, that, that will be pulling that kind of weight. But it's just, it's you know, the athletes, this is another thing that they have to manage. Now, I'll tell you this. We had a certain former player's mom that jumped all over me on on uh, on social media because I suggested that um, this is another thing that the coaches are going to have to manage, right, when it comes to NIL and focus on the game. And, you know, her particular feeling was, well, you know, why are we talking about focus? The players deserve to be paid. And I'm just like, I didn't say that they didn't. I'm just saying this adds a level of distraction for the individual and the team that players have not had to deal with before. They all just be, suddenly became small business owners, right? And now mm-hmm. you not only have to manage classes and, um, you know, and football practice and study hall, but now you have financial business commitments that you have to keep. You have interviews that you have to do. You cannot get out of. Not optional. Right. You signed a deal, right? You have speaking engagements for some of them. You have these appearances that you have to make. You have responsibilities. Now, because of NIL, outside of the normal student-athlete or the traditional student-athlete responsibilities. So this is a gamble on every level for a lot of these kids to enter their name into the portal. Um, I'll tell you, uh, I know it's not football, but I've seen a lot of um, kids talk about uh, the kid that left us in basketball, Powell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that went to Tennessee. Yeah. Now he's getting minutes up there. Certainly, he's playing. But look at this team now. You know the gamble that he took. He left. He left a tourney team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a team that he probably would have played significant minutes. Minutes for. on, yeah, sure. right. Sure. Berman probably stays on the bench, right? If Powell st- stays, and uh, and we probably don't pick up Wendell Green in the portal or KD Johnson. One of those two guys is not here. Or yeah, Jasper. Like one of the three guards we picked up in the offseason isn't here if he stays. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So. right. So he made a bet on himself. He entered it in the portal. Somebody wanted him enough. Right. That he went someplace and he's getting a decent amount of minutes there, but his production is paltry. Right. And um, they're an iffy team at the end of the day. So I, I don't I don't envy this part of it for them. Right. The portal is such a hard decision for a lot of these kids to decide, hey, where am I going to play my next? You know, uh, w- what school gives me the best opportunity to realize my dream of even having a chance to make it to the next level? It's very difficult. What coach is, can I commit to that's actually going to keep their promises this time? Yeah. Right. Right. And that, you know, that's oh, what probably, situation is best for me? That's something. I mean, we talk about this, and, and I know that it bothers a lot of fans to hear that players don't want to be on our team anymore because we chose to come to Auburn, right? We still love Auburn, having gone through it as students and, and for many of us having graduated. But to hear that somebody just doesn't want to be at the school that I love, like that, I, I understand why you take that a little personally, especially when it's somebody as a player that you really liked, which is what I think is probably at the root of a lot of people's resentment towards us about saying, hey, Bo Nix might leave. He would never leave. Listen, man, now it's business. I get it. You love Auburn and he loved Auburn, but guys are going to leave us. Even guys that you love being here that said they love being here, they don't love being here as much as they love maximizing their personal potential. Money. So mm-hmm. you get we we gotta let that go. We have to let go of this idea that people are just coming here for this connection to the community and the university. That's not it anymore. And we we have to all get our minds wrapped around that and not take it so personal. So listen, if Lee Hunter had a really good connection with uh, Coach Easton, I get it, man. I don't want to show up to work for somebody that now right now I don't know and wasn't the reason I came here. Now Lee Hunter came here before Coach Easton was here. 
So, you know, but, is, I don't... But the, but the relationship, but the relationship. Right. I mean, relationship. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. 